This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hello, mindful listeners. Once again, thank you for spending part of your day with us. So I always have to just ask these days, how are you doing out there? There's a lot going on. And I, um, at work, I have to tell you, I, um, you know, during this, this time, and like I said, you know, this time we know this quarantine time, still not sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we decided through my work that we would have these mindful moments and they're Thursdays and Mondays and the, everybody just can stop what they're doing and get on zoom. And we lead, you know, just a meditation or a, uh, a poem or, uh, just kind of to get together, like just trying to pull together and forget about everything that's going on just for a moment. But guess what? I just read a book called A Mindful Year. Not a moment, A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection and the Sacred in Everyday Life. So important right now. And I have a co-author with us today, Dr. Seth Gillihan. Um, he is a licensed psychologist and clinical assistant professor of psychology in the psychiatry department at the University of Pennsylvania. Thanks for being here, Seth. Well, Holly, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, so my podcast is called, of course, Mindful Medicine. And mindfulness is something that I've been so intrigued and interested in because I feel and I've seen in my personal life, in my clinical practice, you name it, that we can lose it so easily because of how quickly um, this world is moving and our lives are moving and our modern day is just chugging along and 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 literally we almost like lose our ability to be mindful we lose our minds <laughs> and but your book um for 365 ways to find connection sacred in everyday life was just so enjoyable and such a great reminder of this so tell me what brought, I mean, you do split your time uh, between being a professor and your psychotherapy practice and writing. What, what led you to write this book? Well, yeah, I appreciate the question. I love that idea that you described of the mindful moments. Because I think that the, the year that Arya Campbell-Danesh, my co-author, and I wrote this book, I mean, it, it really is a series of moments. I mean, that's you know, it's, it's 365 days, and, and that made up a year. But, but really what it came down to is just finding ways each day, each day to remind each other to come back to what we cared about. So Aria and I were very close friends, uh, both psychologists, and we, we came to mindfulness around the same time. And, you know, we're, we're struck by the power of, of such a simple practice, but, but such a profound shift to really be in our experience and to be open to it and curious about it and, and to, to be with what is more closely. And, and the, the distinction between those moments when we were really connected and present and grounded were so, it was so different from how we tended to exist in that state, as you were describing, of, of being disconnected and distracted and, and pulled in a lot of different directions. And so we wanted a way, you know, first for each other, to you know, encourage one another to come back to the moment and find those a daily practice of connection. So we decided to write a book that would 
that would be you know one uh, one invitation every day to uh, practice that would help to ground and connect in the moment and to people we care about and to work we find meaningful and so forth. And we decided to write it in real time. So we wrote to each other every day for a year, uh, taking turns, who wrote. And uh, when it was all done, we had a, an enormous uh, stack of writings that were way too big for a book, but we um, we pared them down and and adapted them for readers. So that's how the book came to be. That's great. I mean, and, and it truly, it goes from January 1st all the way through the year. And you've gotten some incredible praise. And one of the things that I love about the book, because I do find uh, for folks that have not practiced mindfulness, that it can be hard to get into. And then therefore, sort of they throw the baby out with the bathwater. I know that that's probably, um, but that this book, um, this book uh, is meant to be read one breath at a time. I love that. And that um, they show you how to incorporate small, simple, but meaningful changes. And Listeners, that's what I want you to hear about this book. I think it's going to be an incredible gift for the holiday season um, to help you, your family, your loved ones, and even those that you might not even know um, slow down on a daily basis and, and, and take an invitation for a bit of mindfulness. You know, I've, I've had so many guests on because... Uh, you know, because of the time that we're in, um, to try to help uh, navigate through this this um, uncertainty through the quarantine and with uh, COVID nineteen, the the novel virus, and and where we're at, um, how how can mindfulness like this book, like each and every day, and and you know it, it, it one breath at a time, right? So literally, when I was reading it, um, you know, you it, I. I would t- just you take it in. It takes less than two minutes, and then I could think more about how those invitations sort of, you know, were true in my life and what resonated with me. But how does mindfulness um, and then therefore self kindness uh, help break some of the unhealthy habits um, that that people I see using? You know, I talked to my last guest about a slippery slope of alcohol and and more substance abuse being on board because in the short term, it's a nice anxiety reliever. But obviously, we know in a long term that there's trouble down the road because there is uh, uh, tolerance and then there's more alcohol and then there's sleepless nights and then there's more caffeine and all sorts of stuff like that. So how can mindfulness play a part in breaking that that vicious cycle? Well, as you said, Holly, it's, it's pretty amazing how it doesn't take much to really redirect our course, you know, kind of like a, a small adjustment uh, of the rudder of a ship, you know, played out over the course of a day, it makes a huge difference in where the ship ends up. So a lot of what Ari and I were thinking about and writing about were these kind of inflection points or these leverage points where we can can do something small and yet make a big difference in our day because, I mean, if if Listeners are like me. It's I. I have enough to think about without having to you know, take on some massive project for the day or, or try to you know, redo my entire life in in some grand stroke. But if I can do something like notice the sky as I'm walking to work, anyway, I'm already walking to work. I mean, not now because because things have changed. But but if I'm outside anyway, it takes no additional time 
it just takes a little bit of, of intention and attention. And now my mind has been expanded and I'm, I'm, I've been pulled out of whatever story I was thinking about, about the disasters that might await me that day or the regrets I have about making my five-year-old cry that morning. <laughs> and I can, <laughs> I mean, all those things can, can go through my mind when I'm on a walk, most days not having made my child cry, thank God. But, but those, that, that was exactly what we were after were these uh, small investments with a, big, with a big payoff because no matter how long we've been going along, and this to me was such a, a huge realization, no matter how long we've been kind of not attending to what's happening, it only takes a second, it only takes a breath to come back. And I had this kind of intuition that if I had been, if I had gone three days and not really checked in and been mindful, then that's you know, kind of like, like traveling a three days journey from home. And now I was going to have to take three days to get back before I could be present. But it was never like that. It was like train tracks where they were always running in both directions. And when I realized I'd been going on the, long, the wrong one, no matter how far I had traveled, there really wasn't any distance because the other track was always right there. I could step into it right in a moment. Ah, I love it. So it just takes a little slowing down. It's imagine, like you said, with your co-author, how things started to shift, and I'm sure it was extremely exciting. So another question I want to ask you is, you know, we've been talking a lot about immune resilience um, and then kids being more resilient because they have to pivot, um, but emotional resilience can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think our brain is programmed to be more negative. And I, I, I stumbled upon this the other day where don't, I mean, I'm going to out myself here on my podcast, but it's hard to have a socially distanced massage, but I had a safe massage, I should say, hopefully, and um, a well overdue yeah. and needed one. But one of the things that was a little bit of a bummer for me was this therapist, who I know, but was talking quite a bit, but also just Debbie Downer. And I just wanted to get off the table and go, are you kidding me? You know, do you have any gratitude? You know, do, do you know how bad it is out there for folks, for some folks? Like, what's going on? And so can you talk a little bit about building emotional resilience and moving, you know, more through the uncertainty and the worries that are just, I think, compounded right now? Yes. Yes, I have to laugh too, Holly, because I can, I can relate. I had an acupuncturist to some sessions I would you know, lie down, end of a day, ready to you just kind of zone out and have my needles stuck in, and he would start complaining about President Trump. I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is exactly what I don't need to be hearing and thinking about hearing. right now. <laughs> no, so, no, no, no. But yeah, the emotional resilience so it's easy to get carried away by our emotions because our our emotions trigger thoughts. Like if I'm if I'm afraid of uh, the, the coronavirus, then I might be thinking uh, I'm going to get I'm going to get sick, or my loved ones are going to get sick, and then I'm imagining it's going to be a disaster, and I'm going to be one of the ones who has a really bad time with it, and that feeds into the emotions, which then feed back into the thoughts. So again, it comes back to this idea that we've talked about a couple times of just slowing down. And mindfulness does allow us that kind of pause 
So rather than allowing kind of the train to run away with us, we have just a moment. It doesn't take long just to step back, observe what's happening. This is, I'm not saying this is easy or that I uh, do it all the time or even most of the time, but but we have the option. We can come back to that, just an awareness of what's happening. What's what's going on right now? Oh, okay, I'm telling myself a story about how things are going to go. And that's really for us the intersection of a cognitive behavioral approach and a mindful approach. Mindfulness giving us that pause where then we can examine our thoughts and really check the ones that are going to feed into those those unhelpful emotions and, and avoidable ones when we can come back to what's actually happening. Uh, yeah, that's, and once again, I think, you know, even in sort of just hearing you talk and at the pace that you talk and the cadence that you talk, it's very soothing and it's, you almost can't help but um, be brought into more quiet and mindfulness. So I appreciate that. And then oh, I do want to tell Holly. my listeners that you, yeah, you have your own podcast, Think, Act, Be, um, and that's at sethgillingham.com slash podcast. But I want to also talk to you about the importance of this particular question that you put out there. What would you try today if you didn't fear making mistakes? Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm sorry, do you want me to answer that for myself or just talk about it? Well, what's tell me about the importance of that question and sure, I'd love to know what you would try. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, I think there's so much of what we of what we don't do that we could do is because we think that that we won't succeed. I mean, that's the the two main reasons we put off doing anything are that we think we're going to fail or, or mess it up somehow, or we think it's going to be a drag. And if we know we're going to be successful about it, then I think that's when we really have the the willingness to do what we're capable of, to bring the full force of who we are into the world. And I know for myself, I have held myself back so many times thinking like, yeah, I don't really feel like doing that or I don't want to do that without realizing that there was that underlying fear. Oh, what if I fail? Even if, I mean, the, obviously if you don't do something, there's no chance of success. But there is still the, the we can hold on to a sense of potential if we don't try something, right? Like if I... Yeah, I could write this book, and it would, you know, maybe it would um, be well received. But until I do, I, I never get to sort of cash in that, uh, or or scratch off that lottery ticket. You know, maybe it's the winning ticket, but it, but I can uh, hold on to it and just um, preserve that potential in a way. So I think part of of this mindful approach is. Being willing to fail is accepting that uncertainty while proceeding as if we're going to succeed. So, so for myself, lately, I think what that, where that applies is in uh, a new book that I'm writing and uh, not allowing myself. I mean, there's a lot of fear you know, in putting these ideas together for the first time, but not allowing those things to, um, to be the final word. And proceeding as if this is going to be clear or it's going to be what I want to say or I'm going to be writing the book that wants to be written. Yeah. 
it's just, you know, I, I, I feel like there's tons of things that I could bring up for this question as far as what would you try today if you didn't fear making mistakes? I have this list right here in front of me. Um, and I've been um, really getting into sort of integrative oncology. And I want to sort of put a deck together because I work with folks that don't know much ab about it. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I people know from my show that I, I do believe that there's value in all systems of medicine in allopathic Western medicine and naturopathic medicine and Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, I could go on and on and on, chiropractic, etc. Um, but when it comes to oncology, um, I, you know, I, I know that there are people that are great at treating the tumor, but we tend to look at the terrain. So what's the micro environment? What's feeding, um, you know, what fed the cancer? How did, you know, let's do a little bit of a quote unquote autopsy on how this all started so we can treat the terrain. And I think it's just fascinating because it, you know, I, I, when I started to practice in California, sort of illegal to, to, uh, to work and care for anybody with cancer unless you were a bona fide oncologist. And so this has just been sort of, you know, 21 years out now, I'm kind of getting more and more into this. And I, I, I want to give this presentation to these MDs that I work with, MDs, medical doctors, uh, to just sort of introduce that there's, um, I think, better outcomes and also adjunct therapies. And so it, that's that that thing for me. And it's on my list. <laughs> and that's as far as I've gotten. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think yeah. maybe the next step would be actually just to start the template, you know, and, and put a, a title to it or what have you. But um, I know that once these things, you know, the inertia, it's kind of like the, the energy it takes to get a car going is is magnificent, right? But once it gets rolling down the road, it's fine. Can't, can't, you're hardly even sometimes using any gas. But I feel like that inertia when we do have that fear um, is so overwhelming. So folks this book i, I gotta tell you it's gonna unlock and it's if you if you if you're looking for something and and i feel like the people that i've spoken to and the people that um, i've had conversations with everybody is looking for something to just ground right and they might be at in time in this quarantine seth where okay, the, they're like, no more COVID-15, I got to get on top of that. So they're going to get on top of their exercise, they're reigning in their diet. Um, you know, they're, they're reaching out uh, with phone calls to people that they might have just been avoiding because who wants to talk about anything right now because we're so sick of talking about everything that we're talking about. But I, I, I have seen this um, somewhat uh, ducking and weaving when it comes to the mindful piece. But folks, I want to tell you that this is super easy, okay? Um, a lot of times when we're dealing with lifestyle interventions and dietary changes and, you know, you name it, it's not, you know, it's not easy. It's there's got to get skin in the game. But for mindfulness to slow down this book, it's each and every day. You could just read that little section and get provoked in your own way, in your own life, share it with your family. I'm sure we all know where we can get it, but go ahead, give it a, give us a, a, an idea of what's the best way people can get a hold of this book. Well, yeah, it's available on Amazon. It's available through uh, independent booksellers. Uh, and if if listeners go to my website, SethGillahan.com, I have links uh, under books uh, to the, to both of those as well. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, listen, mindful listeners, um, stay mindful. And the and one of the best ways you can do that is grab this book, A Mindful Gear: Three Hundred and Sixty Five Ways to Find Connection and the Sacred in Everyday Life. Seth. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thanks for being here. And I can't wait to have you back because I want to get 
my eyes on your next book that you're going to finish, and it's going to be awesome. (laughs) I would love that, Holly. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, have a great day. Thanks so much. All right, mindful listeners, there you go. We're going to see you next time.